we're going to take a look at the second commandment. And I hope that as we go, as a matter of fact, we're only going to look at the first part of it because as I began to put this, the message together, I thought there is no way they're going to sit with me this long. You guys were so good with, with me last week, we almost went an hour. When I, found, when I realized how long we had gone, I thought, wow. Because the mind can only absorb what the seat is willing to endure, right? I won't do that to you again today. We're going to try to cut it a little bit shorter, okay, and get you out of here before the Baptists get to the, to the restaurant. That's such an old, old joke. I'm sorry I threw that out there. They're saying the same thing about us down at the Baptist Church, about us Assembly of God folks. So, Anyway, here we go. Let's look at the second commandment. Let's find out how we can take this commandment, apply it to our lives, and enjoy the kind of life that God created us for. I want, I want to remind you one of the main points I was trying to make last week is these commandments were given to a saved people. These commands cannot save you. Okay? All they can do is point out your character defects. And I can only point out the areas in your life that you still have yet to surrender to Christ. These commandments were given to the people of Israel after they had been rescued from bondage in Egypt. These commandments are given to us today to help us live the kind of life as Christians that God wants us to live so we can experience life and life to the full, promised to us in John 10.10. As Christians, we're no longer bound by the Old Testament laws. Let's get that really clear. As Christians, we are no longer bound by the Old Testament laws. We're under a new covenant, and, and that new covenant places us under what theologians have called the law of Christ. And the law of Christ has been given to us in Matthew 22, 37-40, where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus goes on to say all the law and the prophets, all the Old Testament law, everything that's in the prophets, hangs on these two commandments. And these are the two commandments that we're to obey, that we're to apply to our lives. But that doesn't mean that the Old Testament laws are irrelevant. We need to, we need to see that. We need to understand that. The Old Testament has been given to us with a purpose. It helps us understand this new covenant that we enjoy in Christ Jesus. Those, those Old Testament laws are not irrelevant. Many of those Old Testament laws help us understand what it means to love God, what it means to love our neighbors. The Old Testament laws give us some really good guidance on how to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those Old Testament laws really help us understand how to love our neighbor as ourselves. 1 John 5.3 says this. In fact, now this is, this, is an old, this is a New Testament verse given to New Testament believers. 1 John 5.3 says, In fact, this is love for God to keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. His commands are not. Say that with me. His commands are not burdensome. As a matter of fact, if you see these commands for what they are, they are the only direction in your life that lead you to freedom. To break these commands will lead you into bondage. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But to obey these commands actually leads to freedom. A lot. How many of you want to live free? We're going to talk more about that next week, so come back and, and listen to the second part of this message. You see, these, these ten commandments that we've been given are really just a summary of the Old Testament laws. 
and, and I want you to see this, and I want you to understand this as we get into the study. All but one, all but one of the Ten Commandments, the only commandment that's not repeated in the New Testament is the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy. Every other commandment in the Ten Commandments is repeated in the New Testament, and we are told to obey it in the New Testament. So let's get this clear, okay? All but one of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath being the only exception, is repeated in the New Testament as a command that we as believers should obey. And it makes sense, guys. It just makes sense. If we love the Lord, if we love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we're going to put Him first, right? If we love the Lord, then we're going to worship Him only, which is what we're talking about today. If we love the Lord, we're not going to misuse His name. Right? And if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we're not going to steal from them. We're not going to lie to them. We're not going to covet what they have. Does that make sense? It kind of expands our understanding of what it means, what Jesus is trying to get us to do when he says, love the Lord and love your neighbor. The Ten Commandments help us expand that understanding, expand that knowledge so we can put it into practice. Jesus says in John 14, 21, that those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones, not the people that talk about it, but the people that live it out. we got enough talkers in the world. We don't need any more talkers. We need people who will obey it, walk it out. What do you call somebody that says one thing but does another? Enough hypocrisy. That's the biggest complaint the world has about us as followers of Christ, that we say one thing but do another. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he goes on to say, because they love me. Here's the benefit, again, of of living in obedience to the Lord. Because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and here, get this, and reveal myself to them. You want to know God better? Obey His Word. As you obey His Word... He opens up more understanding of who He is and what He's calling you to do. Here's, here's my own um, personal experience, and I'm not saying that this will be yours. This has been mine. God has a way of bringing me to a place in my life where He is calling me to submit it to Him, to give it to Him. And if I look at Him and say, no, God, don't want to do that, work in my life in another area, God's, God will let me know in His own way, I'm not taking you another step further until you do what I'm telling you to do right now. And once I take that step of faith and put my trust in Christ and obey Him in that area, it's amazing. Then all of a sudden, these other things, these other vistas begin to open up in front of me of places, other things that God wants me to do. I'm telling you, some of us are stuck in our Christian walk because we know what God wants us to do right now. We're just not willing to do it. And we feel stuck. And we feel like our relationship with God is like, you know, just, it's on, it's on hold like we're treading water. Well, maybe it's because you're not yet willing to surrender this part of your life to God that He's already talking to you about. Because when you do, boom, there's more. You get it? If you love me, keep my word, I will reveal myself, more of myself to you. Listen, this is is really what these these Ten Commandments are kind of like what tracks are to a train. Did you guys see the big 19 car pile up this week that was on the news? A train jumped the track. There were 19 cars. It was just a jumble of metal and, and, and stuff 
just a big crash. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. But these Ten Commandments are to us what train tracks are to trains. As long as the train stays on the track, it keeps moving forward to its final destination. But once the train jumps the track, it's a disaster. And a lot of people can get hurt. In the same way, if we obey these Ten Commandments, if we, if we, if we, if we keep our lives on this path, it's, it's like it, it, it will keep our lives on track. It will keep us progressing and moving closer to becoming the kind of person God wants us to be, of enjoying the kind of life that God wants us to enjoy, of having the kind of family that God wants us to have. These tracks will take us to where we want to go. That's what these Ten Commandments are like. So let's get into this study here today on the Second Commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And what I've done is, I, we're not going to read the whole passage of Scripture. Instead, I want us to read these commandments together, because I'm hoping by the end of these ten weeks that we spend together, you'll be better off than most Americans who don't know what the Ten Commandments say. Maybe you'll have an idea of what they actually are. So let's read these Ten Commandments together as they're given on the uh, slide. Darian, would you go there next? And God spoke all these words. Here we go. Read it together. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that meets us here. Father, I realize even now as I read through these commandments, I've broken nearly every one of them. But I'm so grateful that Your grace is bigger than my disobedience. And I thank You, God, that You love me in spite of all my failures. I ask You today as we spend time looking at this second commandment, God, that You would challenge our hearts. Let the Holy Spirit... I pray, Father, everyone in this room would give the Holy Spirit the right to speak to their hearts, to point out in them the areas that have not yet been surrendered to Your authority. And I pray today that with honesty, God, with honest hearts, we would, we would just lay our lives out before You and say, God, look in, inside me and see if there's anything in me that needs to change. And then I pray, Father, as You deal with our hearts, we would commit to You fresh and new. We would give to You those areas in our life that we've yet to surrender. I pray today would be a day of change, of transformation in the lives of the people here. We love you. This is only for our good. <laughs> These commandments are given to bless us and to protect us. God, help us to see that, that you're for us and not against us, that you want only good things for your people. We, help us to trust you. Help us to take you at your word and trust you. We'll give you the glory and the praise as you take the blinders off of our eyes and unstop our ears. In Jesus' name, amen. The second commandment is given to us in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to read the commandment in its entirety. It says this, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Summarizing it down, in essence, God's second rule for us as His children is don't idolize anything 
or anyone, but only worship God. Only worship God. Don't idolize anything. What does that mean? What, is, what does that mean? What, what's an idol? An idol is an image that's used as an object of worship. An idol can be anything, good or bad. An idol can be anything, good or bad, that takes our attention and our affections off of the true God and puts them somewhere else. To idolize something means to value it more than you value God Himself. Archaeologists tell us that in every generation and culture there have been idols. It seems like the human heart is hardwired. We're hardwired to worship something or someone. Whether you believe in God or not, today you're worshiping something or someone. You may not want to admit it, but it wouldn't take me long to find out what that someone or something is. We'll talk about that at the end of of the message today. John Calvin said it this way, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. And this is the devil's bait. He wants us to take our attention and our affection off of God, off of Jesus, and put it somewhere else. One of his greatest strategic, one of his greatest strategies he uses against us in spiritual warfare is the the, the strategy of distraction. He wants to dangle something over here that looks really good, and it may even be good, to take our eyes off of God where they ought to be and put them on that little distraction, and we start chasing it. I know a friend right now who wants to be debt-free, and that's a good thing. I think being debt-free is an awesome thing to shoot for. But now, every time he has to make a decision about what, how he should spend his time He chooses the financial advantage of it over the spiritual advantage of it. If it comes to being debt-free and getting more hours at work or or going to church on a Sunday morning and staying focused on God, he always chooses to do what benefits him financially rather than spiritually. And I've warned him, you're being distracted, man. It's not about church. It's not about coming to church. If it's a continued pattern in your life, what it tells me is you're not looking where you ought to be looking. You're looking over here. The pattern itself reveals what's going on in your heart. And that's the way the devil works. And that's why it's so important that we take this commandment at its face value. Worship God only. Don't idolize anything else. I grew up in India. And there are idols everywhere in India. Literally, on every mountaintop, there will be a little temple, a little shrine, an idol. Every street, in front of nearly every home, there's going to be an idol. Strange-looking idols. I mean, weird-looking things. If, uh, we went to, uh, uh, Bill and Jenny and Lorna and I went to uh, the Silver Coin yesterday, the Indian restaurant. Anybody been there? It's an Indian restaurant, really good little place in Hoover. You get a chance to go, it's great. But as you enter the door... There in the foyer is a statue of a, of a Hindu god named Ganesh. Ganesh has the head of an elephant and the body of a fat man. I mean, those kinds of idols are everywhere in India. You, you, can't, you, you can't avoid them at all. They're strange-looking idols that are made of stone, wood, and metal. Idols with the head of an elephant attached to the body of a man. Idols with hideous faces and multiple heads. 
uh, idols with uh, idols that look like monkeys and idols that look like snakes, idols that look like rats. They worship rats in India. Let's, I took, I went to it. Never mind. That's another story. I don't want to gross you out. I don't want to ruin your lunch. There are idols in India that that look like a person dancing. Only this person has like nine arms. I mean, it's just really kind of crazy. Uh, the the idol making factory in India is working overtime. But I want you to understand something here. In America, we don't make our idols necessarily out of wood, stone, and metal. They're not the only kind. Those kinds of idols aren't the only kinds of idols that are worshipped by mankind. I mean, some people park their idol in a garage at night. And some people keep their idol docked at the lake. Some people kiss their idol goodnight at the end of a date. Some people deposit their idol in a bank every other Friday. Some people make an idol out of their bitterness. Some people make an idol out of vengeance. We need to understand this as we get into this message today. Idols can be metal images or idols can be mental images. Most of us would not have a problem seeing that statue of Ganesh as wrong and weird. But some of us today in this room might have a problem seeing that our family has become our idol. And our kids have become our idol. And our careers have become our idol. Or my dream, my ambition has become my idol. We've got to understand that idols can be made of more than metal. They can be mental. Mental images can be worshipped just like metal ones can. Some idols you can see and touch, but people don't have to worship something that's tangible like that. Some people worship the approval of their friends. Some people worship the accumulation of power. Some people worship the rush of adrenaline. Some people idolize control. Other people idolize chaos. Some people idolize the need to be helpless, dependent on somebody else. Other people idolize the need to be helpful, codependence. See where this is going? Some people idolize happiness and pleasure. Other people idolize suffering and pain. Is that not true? Their whole life revolves around it. Every decision they make is made to satisfy that God, that idol. But God says, don't idolize anything. Don't idolize anything, but worship me only, he says. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says this, for your own good then. God doesn't want our worship because it's good for him. God wants us to worship him because it's good for us. For your own good then, make certain that you don't sin by making for yourselves an idol in any form at all. And what I want to do is just point out to you why God is so insistent that we worship Him and Him alone and why we need to right now carefully examine our hearts and our lives. Who am I really worshiping today? Who who, who, who do I really worship today? Because it, it it will absolutely affect the outcomes of your life. 
Absolutely. God says, for your own good, don't make any idols. Worship only me. Make no idols. Only worship God. Why? Let me give you four reasons. The Word points out to us as to why we should worship only God and never, ever worship idols. First, idols are going to disappoint us. Idols will disappoint you. Idols always promise more than they can deliver. Always. Jeremiah 10.14 says this, Compared to God, all people are foolish and have no knowledge at all. They make idols, but the idols will disgrace their makers, for they are frauds. They, the idols, have no life and no power to them. You see, idols are frauds. Idols may promise to make you content. They may promise satisfaction, but they never ever deliver. Idols may promise to make you happy. They may promise to make you successful. They may promise to make you significant, but they lack the power to follow through on their promises. They have no power to do it. Just watch commercials on television. Just watch those commercials on television. They tell you, use our products and it's going to change your life. Wear this label and you'll be more popular. Drink this beverage and you're going to have more friends. Drive this car, and it's going to say that you've arrived. How, how many of you bit into that little message? It's a fraud. Did you find out it's a fraud? It's false advertising. There may be some kind of temporary sense of satisfaction or temporary fulfillment when you get those things, but it's only temporary. Pretty soon the old needs and the old feelings resurface, don't they? And then we start looking for something else to satisfy our heart. Some other God we can worship, thinking somehow that's where we'll get our significance or our security or our, our happiness from. We, we start looking somewhere, because those things that have been promised to us by those idols, by those false promises, they never come true. We will look, start looking for something else to make us happy. Idols are frauds, man. Idols will always ultimately lead to your disappointment. Anytime we worship something other than God, whether it's a person or a product or a feeling or a thing or a dream, you're going to be disappointed when it's all said and done because it's, those things are frauds. Only God can satisfy the longing in your heart. There is a God-shaped hole in you. Nothing else can fill it. Nothing else. So not only will idols in time disappoint you if you worship them, the second thing is this, idols will come to dominate you. They'll come to dominate you. When you worship something or someone other than God, it will lead you astray from the will of God. That little dangling thing that looks so pretty over here, it's taking you further and further away from your purpose and your destiny in Christ. I want to read a verse to you that I think is really important and really powerful, and I hope you listen to me carefully. Whatever we worship ends up controlling us. There's no doubt about that, and I hope to, to prove that to you as we go along here. 1 Corinthians 12, 2 says this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. Led astray and swept along. You know that when you were still pagans, that's before you were saved, before Christ redeemed you through His blood, before you repented and trusted in Christ to save you, you were led astray and swept along. So think about your life before you met Christ. Think about it. What was my life like before I left? Paul says there were two things that characterized your life before you met Christ. 
you were led astray, and you were being swept along. People who worship idols are easily led astray. Easily. When we worship something or someone other than God, it leads us away from the will of God in our lives. When we take our eyes off of God, we begin to drift away from His calling and His purpose for our lives. How many times, think about it, think about it. How many times have we seen good parents get caught up in their careers only to neglect their children? Nearly happened to me. And I'm in ministry. I mean, I love Jesus with all my heart. Let me share, let me get personal here, because I want you to know this is a really personal message to me. I made ministry my idol for a long, long time and nearly lost my family. My older son, Andrew, God bless him, he has survived those early years of ministry. He was born in 1987, the very first year that Lorna and I got into full-time ministry. I became a, a youth pastor and worked in several different churches. By the time we got to our fourth church, we had a flourishing uh, youth group running nearly 100 kids. We had a real successful reputa- or a reputation of success around the district. I'd been elected to a statewide office as the assistant youth director. People thought I was the bomb as a youth pastor. <laughs> and that's about the time Andrew was getting into his teen years. You know what I found out? My own son didn't even like me. I had... Hundreds of kids that thought I was the greatest human being ever to walk the earth, but when I went home, he'd barely talk to me. And at that point, I realized, man, how can I I work so hard to build relationships with all these kids, and here I am losing the most important kid in my life? I had gotten my eyes off of God and His calling and His commands and His purposes for me and His values and His priorities for me, and I had begun instead to chase that career as a, and that, that whatever it was I was chasing, that ministry of being the bomb youth pastor. But I was losing my own kid. Man, God had to get hold of me. And I remember one day I was crying out, and I shared this with somebody the other day. I was begging, God, what can I do to heal the relationship I've got with my son? He doesn't even like, this isn't right. I know it's not right. What can I do? And God whispered this little thing in my ear. Every time you walk by him, touch him somewhere. Put your hand on his head. Put your hand on his shoulder. Touch his feet if he's stretched out. In some way, let him know that you see him, that you care about him. That began to melt kind of the, the hardness of his heart toward me. And we began, anyway. Today, I'm glad to say I have a great relationship with my 30-year-old son. We love each other, and we probably enjoy a better friendship today than we've ever... I'm just... Listen, I'm just telling you this. It's really personal to me. I've watched too many people be led astray from the purposes of God because they start chasing something other than God. If you're chasing God, He's going to help you keep the the right priorities and the right values and make the right decisions. But when you are led astray because of your desire, because you're worshiping something else, man, the things that you care for the most, you'll end up losing. And the things that should matter the most, you end up throwing away. Sorry, let me get back into this. How many times have we seen kids desperate for approval and friendship cave into peer pressure and engage in destructive behavior because they were led astray? Not following. How many people compromise their integrity for the sake of a couple more dollars? Let us strike. 
If we worship an idol instead of God, we're easily led astray. And we lose sight of the things that God says are most important. We lose sight of the light, kind of lifestyle that God says we should live. We're, we're led astray. We don't live, the, uh, live out the values and the priorities that God says we should have. If we put our eyes anywhere else other than God, we're easily led astray. And usually it's into a mess. Can I get an amen from somebody? The second thing Paul points out here is this, that people who worship idols not only are led astray, people who worship idols are swept along. And we've seen these images of flash floods and cars being caught up and, 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 and being swept away by the, by the uh, rapid flow of water. When I think of, the, of that phrase, swept along, I think of a person who's, who's caught in one of those flash floods. They're trapped. There's no way they can get out. It's beyond their control. No matter how hard they try, they're stuck in this car, and it's just being swept along by the water. A word that we use to describe this phrase, being swept along, you could replace that with the word addiction. Addiction. The state of being controlled by a habit or a practice. People can be swept away or addicted to things other than alcohol or drugs. You do realize that, of course. I mean, those aren't the only addictive elements in the world today. I know people who are addicted to their work. They're addicted to, to people's approval. They're addicted to sex. They're addicted to sports. They're addicted to gambling. They're addicted to shopping. Come on, man. The human heart is an idol factory. We'll make a god out of anything. I think there's a video game addiction out there. It hasn't been identified yet. I'm sure it will be before too long. Anyway, maybe we need a 12-step program for video games. For gamers. Celebrate recovery. We could call it Gamers Anonymous. I mean, just ask them. Just ask them. Hey, they'll tell you, I can give it up anytime I want. Okay. Give it up. I don't want to right now. Oh. <laughs> I mean, even when they know it's killing them, even when they know they're losing everything, they're losing their career, losing their family, losing everything that should be important to them, they can't quit. That's being swept along. We are watching it happen in this culture. People being swept along. They think they're in control. That's the illusion. But they're not. They're not. They can't let go. The only way to free ourselves, the only way to free ourselves from the control of an idol is to turn to God and worship Him only. Amen. That's the only way. Repentance and surrender lead to freedom. I want you to write that down. I want that to be seared into your spirit. Repentance and surrender lead to freedom. Repentance and surrender lead to freedom. So the first reason we should worship God only is because idols will disappoint us. Secondly, idols will dominate us. The third reason why God says we should avoid idols and we should worship God alone is this, because idols will deform us. Idols will deform us. That means idols will change us. Idols will warp our minds and our hearts. Idols will corrupt our character and our personality. 
Idols have the power to transform us from creatures created in the image of God to human monsters of the worst kind. We saw evidence of that at Charlottesville last week. Their whiteness or their blackness has become their idol, and they don't care who they have to hurt or stomp on to prove their point to worship in that religion. This nation is filled right now with people who worship their rights, however silly those rights are as they practice them. And they, what, what's really, what, can I just, this, this goes back to, to uh, the next command we'll talk about. They misuse the name of the Lord our God by attaching his name to some of their behavior. You don't have to put a damn at the end of his name to misuse his name. All you got to do is do something in his name which completely violates the reputation and the character of that name and you have misused his name. Let's be careful that when we use his name, we use it correctly and we represent it well. As followers of Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, you can tell I'm on. I am, I really, I'm watching, I'm watching people worship their heritage, worship their hate, making idols out of things that should never be idols. Enough. Let's get our eyes on Jesus. Let's get our eyes on God. And let's put into practice this life that he's called us to, a life of healing and reconciliation and restoration. Let's get our minds right. Let's get our hearts in line and lined up with him. And let's do what we're called to do. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the what? The sons of God. Peacemakers. Church, we're peacemakers. Come on, something else altogether. This is the third reason. Why God says we cannot worship idols. We should not. We've got to keep him in our focus. Is because idols will deform us. Idols have the power to transform us from creatures created in the image of God to human monsters of the very worst kind. Psalm 115.8 says this. Those who make idols will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. I have spent hundreds of hours hundreds of hours talking to people who have experienced firsthand the deforming, corrupting power of the idol in their life. I've prayed with men whose worship of sex turned them from faithful husbands into lying adulterers. I've spoken with women whose worship of control turned them from loving caregivers into hateful manipulators. I've wept with people from all ages and backgrounds who once led promising, hope-filled lives, but somewhere, somewhere in the past, they began to worship the idol of pleasure, and now they find themselves filled with sorrow and regret, hating the person that they've become. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because I've had some of those conversations with you. Idols will deform us. They will absolutely corrupt your mind and your heart and your life. And unless we become willing to let them go, these idols will in time destroy us. And that's the fourth reason I want to point out to you why we can't idolize anything, why we have to make sure that our, all of our attention and all of our affection is focused on God. Because if we idolize something other than God, it will eventually destroy us. Why? Because these idols, 
These idols will distract us from God's good purpose for our lives. These idols, they will dominate us. They will take us places we don't want to go. These idols will deform us. They will deform our hearts, our minds, our character, and they, and they make us the kind of person we said we'd never be. Angela Acker, love her to death. She gave her testimony here Thursday night, and she talked about how every line she established for herself, every boundary she set, she did what? crossed it. That's what an idol will do to you. You'll set your, I'll never do that. I'll never go there. I'll never do that. I'll never be like them. And before you know it, you have become exactly who you said you'd never be. That's what an idol will do your, to your life. It will destroy you. It will take you down roads. And you'll be looking at yourself. I, I've heard the stories. You know, scrambling around on the, I, I've heard all those stories. I've seen those things. They'll take you places you never thought you'd go, make you do things you never thought you'd do. Idols, man. <laughs> they will rip your life a good one. Ultimately, if we don't repent and change our direction, idols will destroy us. Ezekiel 23 says it this way, you will suffer the penalty for your lewdness and bear the consequences of your, of the sin, of your sins of idolatry. You can choose your behaviors, that Facebook meme says, but you can't choose the consequences. Think about it. Worshiping idols always leads, always leads to destructive consequences. In recovery, we say it this way, the idolatry of drugs and alcohol leads to jails, institutions. They got it down in the 12-step programs. In recovery, we say the idolatry of drugs and alcohol leads to let me tell you something. Idolatry of any kind will lead you into destruction. Divorce, bankruptcy, disease, mental illness, death, eventually even hell if you don't repent and turn, around and turn toward God. For our own good, for the good of our families, we cannot allow ourselves to worship anything or anyone but God. He alone deserves our worship. God alone deserves our highest love our highest devotion. God alone deserves our unfailing loyalty. If we have to make a choice between God and something else, we must always choose God. If we have to make a choice to do something God's way or do it some other way, we must always choose God's way. That's the way that leads to freedom. That's the way that keeps us free. Let's bring it to an end. Part, part one. Aren't you glad I'm not going any further? Here we go. The part about, the good part is next week talking about freedom. But right now, some of you, I realize, are probably still in bondage. And I want the Holy Spirit to take an honest look at your life, and I'm hoping you'll listen to His voice. Some of you are living in bondage because you're worshiping an idol. You're worshiping something other than God. Maybe you're already aware of that. Maybe, there's, maybe the Holy Spirit's already speaking to you. This is an area of my life, man. I am off track. I, I, I am... Maybe this is you. Maybe you are so tired of the disappointment today of worshiping that false god. Maybe today you're beginning to recognize, maybe today you're beginning to recognize that that idol has continually disappointed you and failed to live up to the promise that it offered to you. Maybe today you're realizing for the first time, man, I am dominated by this thing. I'm, I, I've said I could walk away from it, but I'm realizing I can't walk away from this thing. It's got me by the throat. It's a good one. We'll talk about that. Maybe, maybe today, maybe today you've, you've been made aware that, that 
this, this idol has deformed your heart, your life, your mind, your character. You're beginning to see its ugly effects on your life. Maybe today for the first time you're beginning to understand that's why you have been down so many dirty roads and it's time for God to bring you back. I don't know. I'm just saying some of you today need to take an honest look at your heart. Am I worshiping God? Is all my attention and my, my affection focused on Him or am I looking somewhere else? Am I being distracted by these false gods that are taking me away from Him? How do you know? How do you know if something has become an idol to you? Let me just offer these five questions. This is a rubric. I just want you to, to listen to these five questions and do an honest evaluation of your life and heart right now. I don't want to see anybody live in bondage, man. I want, you, I want to see you live in the freedom that God created you to enjoy in Christ Jesus. How do you know if something has become an idol to you? First of all, ask yourself this question. Does it cause me to disobey God? Does it cause me to disobey God? Second, does it give me greater joy than Christ Jesus? Do I find greater joy and satisfaction in serving this God than I do in serving Jesus Christ? Third, is it what I daydream about the most? I would say it this way. What's the last thing you think about at night when you lay your head down? What's the first thing you think about in the morning when you wake up? you spend your time daydreaming about? you got a little spare time. Where does your mind go to? Number four, is it what you enjoy talking about the most? You know, you always talk about what you really enjoy, don't you? So what, what or who do you talk about all the time? Number five is really an important question. Is it what you fear the most? Is it, is it what you fear losing the most? Excuse me. What you fear losing the most? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Michael, would you come back? We're going to spend some time in reflection. I want you to I want you to honestly ask yourself these questions today. With the help of the Holy Spirit, let him search your heart. Let him search your mind. Let him search your life. Is there an idol that has taken its wrongful place in your life? It may be a good thing. I'm not saying it's not a good thing. I'm just saying it's a secondary thing. God is primary. Worship God only. With your heads bowed, eyes closed, I need, when we have an altar call in just a minute, I'm going to need some of our leadership, those who know how to pray with others, to, to join us up front. Come as the others respond. If you're in this place today, listen to me carefully. If you're in this place today, you do not, you do not have to live in bondage. You do not have to live 
dominated by that false idol. You do not have to live your life consumed by what other people think about you. You don't have to live your life consumed by that addiction or that life-controlling issue. You do not have to live your life dominated by that bitterness and that anger that's taken residence in your life. You don't have to. Jesus died on the cross to free you from that bondage. You don't have to live with that character defect anymore. You don't have to live struggling in that area of your life anymore. Jesus died on the cross to heal you physically, mentally, spiritually. He died on that cross and was raised to life on that third day to give you power. To give you power and victory over that struggle, over that defect. But it all starts... Freedom begins with repentance. Freedom begins with repentance. Freedom begins by taking your eyes, by taking your attention and your affection off of that idol and putting it where it belongs, on Christ Jesus. Power to overcome begins by worshiping God only. It is for your good that you worship Him alone. It is for your good that you worship Him alone. If you are tired of the disappointment of worshiping idols, if you are tired, whatever that idol is, if you are tired and worn out, by its deforming effect on your life, by its destructive effects on your life. Today is the day God is calling you to experience freedom. Freedom. But you're going to have to rip your eyes away from that idol, whatever it is, and get your mind and your heart focused on Jesus Christ who died to set you free. Are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to let God take His rightful place in your life? 